This is episode 233, featuring a coaching call with my client, Tom, a master's runner who wanted to see just how good he could be. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features a behind-the-scenes coaching call to better understand the process of improvement. I've been working with our guest, Tom Shannabrook, for almost four years through a variety of strength running programs. He is one of my favorite success stories, and his improvement over the last few years is downright impressive. On today's show, you'll learn how that improvement was possible so you can progress closer to your potential too. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, you can expect even more training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space. My goal is to elevate your thinking about the sport, help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand that process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll become a much better runner. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on how to structure your weekly mileage, my favorite form drills, what it takes to run a sub four or even a sub three marathon, core and strength routines, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strength running, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog with topics as varied as the top mistakes marathon runners make, why you've hit a performance plateau, and more. You'll also find our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and more. Plus, the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, one of the most reputable blood testing companies in the world. They test dozens of biomarkers so you know if there are any red flags with your physiology that might be hampering your running. Then they give you science-backed recommendations to improve anything that might be outside of your personal optimal range. If you're curious what your internal physiology is like right now, you can now get 25% off any of their blood tests with code STRENGTHRUNNING. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning and just use the code STRENGTHRUNNING. No space there. And you can see all the details again at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. This week, I want to thank Running48 for their review of the show in Apple Music. They wrote, quote, I've been listening to Jason's podcast for a while. It never disappoints. And this runner went on to say that they purchased our strength training program and that it was exactly what they were looking for. And each week, they're feeling stronger and stronger. There's nothing better than going out for a run and feeling stronger legs. I couldn't agree more. Thank you for the review and the feedback. I so appreciate it. All right, our show today features one of my favorite strength running success stories of all time, Tom Shannabrook. Tom came to me in 2018 as a master's runner who had had some good success in the sport. He was a 253 marathoner, but he realized that his performances weren't getting any better. He kept running marathon after marathon, all in the 250s, and he knew he had more potential. This episode is the story of Tom reaching ever higher for his potential. We discuss his marathon history, how he used to train for marathons versus what he does today, the most impactful strategies that led him to PR by more than 15 minutes, and why I'm a little mad at him for running a faster PR than me. <laughs> Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Tom Shannabrook. Hey, Tom. Thanks so much for joining me for the podcast today. I'm excited. Absolutely, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. I li listen, listen to a lot of them, so it's a lot of fun to be on the other side, for sure. Yeah, well, we've been working together for a couple years now um, with your training, mostly about your marathon preparation. So I think this is going to be really eye-opening and hopefully a lot of fun. So I really appreciate your time. No, no doubt. Cool. Good to be here. So I do want our listeners to get an idea of who you are. So maybe we can start with how old you are and how long you've been running. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm 44 years old, uh, live in Chicago with, uh, with my family, wife and two kids here. Um, I've been running 
ever since I was a kid. So I've been, I've always, always been in athletics. Um, I think I played all the sports when I was a kid. So basketball and baseball and soccer and tennis and, you know, all, all the, really all the sports. And, um, I found running really after college. So I played division three soccer in college. Um, I was a goalkeeper, so I didn't do a lot of running then, but certainly had to be, had to be fit. Um, but then I started running after college and I ran, you know, was running 20 miles a week, 30 miles a week, and really to keep in shape, um, make sure that I could go out and eat and drink what I wanted to go out and eat and drink. And, um, you know, you sort of, sort of got addicted to that feeling of having gone for a run. And after a couple of years, I just didn't feel good when I didn't get out for that run. And um, it became more of a, a really good mental headspace for me to, to be out for a run. But, you know, all through my 20s, I don't think I ever ran a race. It was never anything I I'd focused on. And um, it took some point, probably in my mid-30s, we were living on a block, um, and we got a note on the door one week that said, we're shutting down your street next weekend for a half marathon. And I'd always go for a longer run on a Sunday. So I said, hey, I might as well join and run that race. And that was that was probably back in 2007 or so. And um, I ran that half marathon and sort of, I wouldn't say I got the bug to, to run competitively because I didn't, you know, again, I didn't run another race until they closed my block the next the next year. Um, but you know, picked, picked it up from there. And that first race, I think I ran, you know, like an hour and 28 minutes or something like that. I didn't know what I was doing, but I do remember on the last hill going up to the finish line, I think it was, I put him like 12 to 14 year old kid ran past me. And I said, well, that shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and wanted to make sure, you know, the next year that that didn't happen again. So I did a little training and I think I ended up running like 123 the next year and and you know that kid didn't pass me that year <laughs> that sort of reminds me of when i ran my first marathon the new york city marathon i was probably around mile 23 or 24 in a world of despair slowing down hitting the wall it was ugly and this senior citizen must have been 70 years old at least just flew by me and i remember thinking <laughs> to myself exactly the same thing this should not be happening <laughs> yeah ab- absolutely 100% um and so from there you know like i um i ran my first marathon in 2010 um i ran a great first 20 miles i, I went into it not knowing anything other than Hey, maybe I should do a long run sometime a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, ran a great 20 miles. I think I was on sub three hour pace and then the wheels fell off. And I remember getting to, it was the Chicago marathon and running, um, running North on Michigan Avenue and just struggling and struggling and struggling. And, um, my wife and my dad and my brother and sister-in-law were out there and, um, my dad jumped out of the, jumped out of the crowd and ran with me for about a half a mile, tried to get me to, to Roosevelt Road and, and get up to the finish line. It was one of those memories that will stick with me for, for a long, long time. And um, I got to the end of that race and I said, well, that's good. I never have to do that again. <laughs> and I said, you know, the famous last words, I think, on that front. Um, but that's that's where it started. <laughs> that's how it started. That's great. And, and I do want to acknowledge the fact that I love that you did not specialize early in a single sport. You dabbled, you participated in a lot of different sports. And, and I always think that's a great thing for kids to do. And so no doubt some of your success right now is because of the foundation of overall fitness and athleticism you built as a kid. So I, I just love to see that. So what was the time of that first marathon, Tom? It was three hours and 28 minutes in the end is, is where it ended up. And so that was in 2010. Now remind me, when did we start working together? Was it 2017? It was 2018. So um, between 2010 and 2018, I really did take it seriously that I was never going to run a marathon again. So I didn't run one until 2014. Um, And in that one, I still had no idea what I was doing as far as running goes. And I would say eight weeks out from, it was again, the Chicago Marathon, I had a friend say to me, well, you should really try some speed work. And, well, what's speed work? <laughs> they said, well, try to run a half mile fast and then a half mile slow and see what you do. So 
I did some of that. Um, I think that probably helped because I went out and I ran um, two hours and 58 minutes in that second marathon. Um, and I clearly remember sitting on the Art Institute of Chicago steps with my wife and, and at that point now two kids that had come between um, that first race and that second race and t- turning to my wife and saying, okay, that's good. I don't ever have to do that again. And had a, had a really good friend ride and, and his wife ride their bikes up to the Art Institute steps and they'd been following me around the course. And he said, well, you just qualified for Boston. And I said, well, I guess I have to do that now. And um, so, so I ran Boston 2016 and leading up to Boston 2016, I joined a training group with the local Fleet Feet um, group here in Chicago. And it was then that I really learned how to run. I learned what a tempo run was. I really learned what interval work was. And um, that's, it was really, it was until 2016 that I fell in, I really fell in love with running. And that's where, that's where sort of my, my interest was peaked after that, um, after that experience. And then I went to Boston and ran 308, um, had a tough day. It was a warm day, but um, I think as any first time Boston runner will probably recall, um, you don't know what you're doing that first time through Boston because it really is a unique and, and tough experience, especially coming from the flat streets of Chicago to, to those hills in, in Boston. Um, so that was, you know, that was 2016. And then um, 2017 and, yeah, through 2017 and 18, early part of 18, um, I sort of plateaued. So um, I ran a 253 in the Glass City Marathon in Toledo and then a 255 in Chicago and then another 255 in Boston in 2018. And 2018 also happened to be the year I turned 40. And I realized at that point in time, boy, I really, really like this sport and um, I want to keep doing it and, and for a long time. And what's the way that's going to keep me sort of from getting injured? And that's when I found you and said, okay, well, now that I'm 40, um, I better start doing something other than going for a run every day. And, you know, is there a way for me to um, do something else to make sure that I keep my body in the shape that it needs to be in so that, you know, I can do this for another 25 or or 30 years, hopefully. So hiring me was a fear-based decision. So you didn't want to get (laughs) (laughs) I think, well, I mean, I think, yes, in some ways, absolutely, Jason. I mean, it was, it was, I was motivated by um, my desire to keep going. Absolutely. Um, to, to hire you because, you know, I'd seen what, seen the work that you do and, and understand the, the value that, you know, you were creating in terms of injury prevention. I mean, that was, that's all over, all over your website and what, what you, what I see you talking about. So, um, yeah, some, some fear. And, you know, I also had this goal, you know, after plateauing, I, I think I probably told you at the time I want to run under 250 sometime. And, you know, the next two races on my calendar were the New York City Marathon and the Boston Marathon and, um, in 2018 and 19. And I think I told you at the time, I said, well, there's no chance we're going to do that in the next two races. But hopefully, you know, sometime after that, we can, we can figure it out. And yeah, we, I think we started working together in my buildup to the um, New York City Marathon in 2018. Oh man, it seems like just yesterday, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so you went into the 2018 New York City Marathon exactly 10 years after I ran my first marathon in New York City with a 253 marathon PR. Now I'm curious because at this point, you know, you had clearly demonstrated that you were a talented runner. You know, your first half marathon with, you know, kind of flying by the seat of your pants, training got you under 90 minutes. So clearly there was some talent there. And then you started running with the group and really getting experience with different types of workouts and things like that. I'm curious when you started working with me and using my training plans, did anything surprise you? What what did you do differently with me that you hadn't done before that when you, you know, first looked at the plan, you were like, Oh my goodness, what is this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for me, the biggest 
piece was all the strength work. Um, there were two pieces, really, the strength work and then the volume that you prescribed as well. So um, I think before working with you, I never, um, I'd never really eclipsed probably 65 miles a week. And I, as I said, I'd never done strength work. And um, when, when we had our first call, you know, you said, well, we're going to do a 12-week buildup. I said, whoa, 12 weeks. That seems like a short duration. And I said, Jason, what do I need to do to be ready for a 12-week buildup? And you said, well, ideally, you're running 70 miles a week, and you know we're doing 16 and 17 mile long runs. And I said, well, that sounds like a, that sounds like where you know you are in the middle of a of a training program. And so, you know, for me, like what surprised me was just like how serious um, the training was in terms of you know this is this isn't really a joke. Like if you're going to run. Um, if you want to have some running goals, like you have to take it somewhat seriously and you have to be a little bit focused on it. So, you know, I think that was that number one, you know, the volume and then like what it takes just from a base perspective to go into, to go into training for a marathon. This wasn't like couch to marathon. This was, this was like being really fit. And now let's, now let's get you fitter and primed for a race. Um, and then the second piece was the strength work. I'd never done strength work. I think I, you know, I'd done push-ups and sit-ups, and that's that's about it. And um, you know, doing the standard core workout that you prescribe, and the gauntlet workout, and the um, you know, the band work for the IT band, and all these things, you know, once or twice a week. It was it was a time investment again. So you know, twenty or thirty minutes after a run, and. Um, you know, so all, all those things were were different um, than than anything I'd ever experienced. So, you know, I think working working through that was um, was fun the first time. It's still fun, you know, going through it now. But um, things I'd never done and, and was really surprised by. Yeah, and I think I, I do want to acknowledge the fact that I probably wouldn't have pushed you so much if I didn't know that you were a very good runner, that you had some serious running goals. So I don't want to alienate some listeners that I have everyone run 70 miles a week with the kind of long runs that you were doing. But, you know, I looked at where you were at and I, I realized that we had to take the next step. We had to go and do a little bit more in training than what you've done in the past. And that next step was a little bit more consistency with your overall mileage and pushing the effort a little bit with the volume overall. And the strength work is really what enables that, you know, it kind of gives you the you know, the, the durable tendons and connective tissues and joints to really handle it. And it's really the only way that you can reach some of those higher mileage levels. Um, so let's talk about that first New York City Marathon. So it's 2018. We had just done about a 12-week buildup. Uh, I scared you a little bit with the mileage <laughs> and doing all that consistent strength work. How did that 2018 race go? It was, it was, a, I had so much fun. It was such a great day. So, um, the weather was perfect. It was my first New York city marathon. It was crisp and cool. The sun was out. Um, it was like, it was just a really fantastic day. And from start to finish, I felt strong. Um, to this day, it's my only negative split marathon as well. And granted it was a one second negative split, but it wasn't, it still, it still counts. Still counts. Um, Still counts, right? Um, but yeah, it was it was a great day. I mean, I had so much fun on in that race, and like, you know, I clearly remember when the train the training that I'd done really hit me was I think it's about mile sixteen when you're going up the Queensboro Bridge, and it's the crowds are gone and it's super quiet and there's tons of people on the bridge. And I think I passed a hundred people on that bridge going up that bridge. And it was, it was then that I realized like, yeah, you know what? I'm pretty fit. And you know, these, you know, these people went out hard and now they're sort of dying. And then you go up, you know, you run up first Avenue and you're running up a hill and then you're coming back fifth Avenue and you're running up a hill. And like all that time, you know, granted by the time you get to fifth Avenue and you're going through the hills in central park, it hurts a little bit, but, um, I was still like I just had so much fun. Like I'd never been, I'd never had that kind of fun running a race before. And so, um, yeah, ton of fun that day. That's awesome. And was it a PR for you that day? It was. So I, I ended up running two forty six high. Wow. So it was really it was that fast after your two fifty three. I I thought it was a slower progression. 
I, no, guess I, I, <laughs> I took about, I took more than six minutes off my PR and, you know, taking that PR from a flat course and then taking it to New York, which obviously has its challenges um, from the Hills perspective. It was, I was on, I was on cloud nine for sure. I was, I was flying. Yeah. That's a really incredible progression from 253 to 246, you know, partly because the faster you get, the harder it is to continue to take time off of your personal bests, especially, you know, when you're starting to get into these sort of competitive uh, types of times, you know, it's just that much more impressive. Now, I'm curious, Tom, if you were before the race, when you were going through that 12 week buildup, was there ever a, a turning point or an aha moment where you were thinking to yourself, I might be in the position to just absolutely demolish my personal best right now if I can just stay healthy, get to the race feeling okay, and just execute on race day. Was there a certain time where things started clicking for you in training? So I did um, I did a half marathon um, in the buildup, and I ended up running 115 high in that half marathon, which was a three-minute personal best in the half marathon that you know, sat somewhere in the middle of a, a marathon training block. So I certainly wasn't on fresh legs. And so, um, I said, Oh boy, that's, that's fast. And it was, I mean, honestly, it was three minutes faster than the PR I had from four months previous in the half marathon. So, you know, at that point in time, I did realize that, um, that something, you know, might've changed for me, but I still, you know, even going into New York, I still didn't think that 250 was realistic. So, you know, as I'm running the race, it's, I, I don't think I was even realizing I was so far under 250 until I got to the finish line and, and looked at my watch and was just, you know, beyond thrilled. Yeah, I think this is a really good lesson because, you know, I, I've met a lot of runners who run a lot of races. And on the one hand, I advise runners to race more frequently. I think it's a valuable skill. I think you really get to know yourself as an athlete who runs races and, you know, understand the psychology of it all. And just the skill of knowing how to redline, knowing how to get off the line, pass competitors in a strategic way. There's so many different nuances of racing that I think make it into this skill that you have to work on very regularly to get good at. But the problem is if you do it so frequently that you then can't really focus on your training. Because at the end of the day, what makes runners into better runners? It's the training. It's sort of like when you're in school. You can take the test, but it's really all the studying that you've done that actually makes the test into something that you're proud of. Same thing with running. You have to do all the work, all the studying, the training, the running, so that the race turns out to be something you're proud of. And and I think what we did was just focus more on your training and, and really push the effort with the volume strategic workouts, and then layering the strength training on top of that so that you could actually complete it all and stay healthy without any injuries. And if there are anyone, is there, if there's any runners listening to this right now who might be running a race every week, every two weeks, even every three weeks, just in perpetuity, this is probably a good lesson to take a step back, really focus on your training and think, what are the key training metrics that I can improve upon that will then lead me to have better race outcomes? And I, I love that you just put your head down. You know, you didn't complain about doing all the core and strength work. Well, you probably complained to me to your wife, but <laughs> at least not to me. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, I, I think, well, maybe, maybe it was, there probably wasn't a lot of complaining, but there was, there's certainly a matter of like trying to figure out when the time is to do it. And I remember, you know, one of the questions I asked you at the beginning was, well, is it okay if I don't do this right after my run, you know, it's take you know, let's get dressed, let's take the kids to school, let's start your day, go to, go to work, go to the office. You know, could I do this in the middle of the day at the gym in the office or, or something like that, right? And so there really is, there's a time investment that, that needed to go into it that um, took some balance, certainly takes some balance and, you know, takes balance from other people in your life to, to uh, help, help, you, uh, help you get there. So, I mean, that's, that's a, certainly an important piece of it when you're, you know, as you said, Jason, like thinking about 80 miles a week, that's, that's a lot of time, you know, and it's a lot of time with 
dynamic warm-up in, in the beginning, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and 20 minutes or more of strength training afterwards. It's just ends up being, it ends up being a lot, it ends up being early mornings for me too. So that's the, that's the early mornings and early bedtimes. But um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it from, from a lot of different sides. Yeah. And I've long thought that the hardest thing about doing the strength work and the warm-ups isn't actually the workouts themselves. It's finding the time in your schedule to fit them in. Because if we're honest, they're not super challenging. They're even for someone who, you know, can't run as fast as you, Tom, you know, they're not really going to pose that much difficulty, even if you don't have much experience with strength work. Yeah, you'd probably be a little bit sore for a week or two, but then, you know, you get right into a nice rhythm. I'll be honest with you, Jason. I was sore. My core was sore for a year. From doing, you know, (laughs) standard core and the gauntlet. I mean, I I honestly was like, and it was, uh, and it was great. It was a great soreness because it was like I'm working hard and building strength. But like, I don't know. A year might be a little long, but I, I always had some soreness from working so hard because again, I'd never done it before. Yeah, even the body weight strength training can really do a number on you if you're being strategic with it and and you're building the duration of the workout or the intensity of the workout in a certain way. Um, even for, for fairly advanced runners, you know, you're certainly one of them can do a lot of damage with just body weight strength exercises. And, you know, in terms of scheduling, you mentioned this, but, you know, I think the number one priority of this work is just to complete it. Let's just get it done. I would much rather a runner not be able to do it right after their run and then do it, say during their lunch hour they do it after work, they do it in the evening, you know, after the kids are in bed and they're maybe put on the t- television in the living room and you can do some core work there. However you have to fit it in is just fine with me as long as you're actually fitting it in. And, you know, I remember when I used to wake up, I used to wake up at five in the morning, get out the door by 5.30 and I was running about 80 miles, maybe a little bit more in singles during the week, no double sessions. And I didn't have any time for any core strength work, I had to do it in my lunch hour. And it's fine. It, it works. It, I think, is slightly better to do it right after your run. It helps you feel a little bit better during the day. But if you have to wait, then there's really no problems there. So, Tom, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what happened after the 2018 New York City Marathon. So we had about a 12-week buildup. You ran an amazing six-plus-minute PR how many other marathons did you run in the next couple of years? I'm curious what the progression was like. Yeah, so I had um, I had registered for Boston 2019, um, so that was next on on the list. But I was lucky enough to get a ballot entry into the Tokyo Marathon, which was either at the end of February or beginning of March in 2019. So um, really quick on the heels of New York, I think. Um, I reached out to you right after New York and said, Jason, that was great. Let's do it again. And um, so we put together another 12-week block. I don't remember when it started, but I think I had like three weeks off or four weeks off, you know, between um, New York City and the Tokyo buildup. And um, so we did we did the, a very similar buildup to, to what we did in New York. Um, and... You know, fam- we took the the whole family went to Tokyo. It was a, a great trip. Went over there um, and um, didn't know what to expect, but knew it was a little bit flatter course than New York. And I went out um, again, not knowing what to expect. I think I probably had two forty five in my in my head that I thought maybe I could run, and um, I ran two forty three low. And again, was super surprised it was a it was a terrible day um it was not as terrible as boston 2018 but it was had a a level of that to it with with wind and rain and and a little bit of cold um but it was a great day and you know it was the thing that blew my mind that day was i was the 12th american finisher at the tokyo marathon in in 2019 and i mean here i am for it was 40 one years old and the 12th American crossing the finish line. It was just like the coolest thing. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Uh, just, it almost makes you like feel like a celebrity, right? You're, you're finishing in the top 12 Americans in a, in a major race. And it's so great hearing this. I'm just getting all these flashbacks of our conversations about 
going to Tokyo, you saying you were bringing your family there, which must have been amazing to have them experience that with you. Uh, it's just it's just so great that you could continue to have such great racing experiences, even when the the conditions weren't very good. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was just a ton of fun. It was great to be there. That the whole running culture in Japan was amazing. I, you know, there was not a quiet space on that course. You know, I, I typically like, you know, in New York or Chicago or Boston, there's a quiet space or two and there wasn't a quiet space. It was just absolutely incredible. Um, and then, and then because, because of karma, um, I, I decided I had to run Boston, which was five or six weeks after Tokyo. I just, since I was registered, I didn't want to not show up on the starting line knowing that I could have taken someone's place and, and not go. So, um, so we went to Boston that year too, a couple weeks later and, um, I was, you know, I went out and just wanted to have fun that day. And so that's what I did. I went and, and ran the Boston Marathon and gave lots of kids high fives and, you know, smiled along the course and just really, really, really enjoyed the Boston experience in a way that, that I hadn't and still, you know, ran what today is my Boston PR, which was, which was 248, which, you know, again, it was like it, 248 thinking six months previous. If I said I could run 248, I would have blown my mind to say that I ran 248. It was just kind of an easy, fun run. <laughs> was was absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's a great experience. And I, I had a similar one when I wanted to run Boston. I went and I got a BQ minus 10. So I went 10 minutes under the BQ, BQ time. And I, I think my memory serves me right. I won the race in about 253. And it was a similar experience in that I just felt amazing that I could just go run a 253 and it wasn't something that was extraordinarily difficult. You know, I could sort of have fun and just enjoy myself when I was out there. And then like your Tokyo experience, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm winning the race. Like I, I should <laughs> not be this high up right now, but yeah. it, it always just feels so good. Um, now I'm usually very hesitant about runners doing another marathon five or six weeks after another marathon, just because the, the recovery is substantial. And, you know, if you're going to go after something really hard like that, you sort of need to respect the difficulty. But the fact that you weren't really racing Boston, you were doing it more for the general experience of it all, uh, I think works out just fine. Uh, some runners, some runners like to do a, you know, a revenge marathon when they don't have a good race. And then like, no, I, I can't settle with this. I need to register for another one in four or five weeks. Yeah, I, I don't have that in me for sure. Especially, especially you know, being like, I, I hate to say it, but like being an older runner, like it's just the recovery is, you know, I, I have taken recovery seriously, you know, all the recovery work and the rolling and the, you know, making sure you're eating right, but also not not going out and, and doing that revenge marathon. Now, I have friends that go out and do that and they've done it successfully, but um, that's not that's not me. I want to keep doing this for a long time. Yeah, that's playing with fire a little bit. You just got to be kind of careful there. <laughs> yeah. So after you ran Boston for fun in 248, uh, this was the spring of 2019. Uh, we had a, basically a year from Boston from then to when the pandemic hit the next following spring. Did you get in any more marathons in that time period? So I ran, I ran the Chicago Marathon in 2019. And so by that by that time, I, you know, I, I think I almost became addicted to making progress um, after after New York and after Tokyo. And so I said to myself, well, what's the next sort of thing I can do to, to try to get a little bit better? Um, you know, after having done two plans with you and, you know, doing the body weight strength work and then, you know, seeing your high performance lifting program you know, we had, you and I had a discussion about it and, and you encouraged me to do it, um, and get involved in that program and, and take that on. So I hated the weight room. I, in all my life, I avoided gyms. You know, I run outside. It was 10 degrees this morning in Chicago. I ran outside, you know, it's like, I, I don't like to go to the gym, but, um, you convinced me that it was, it was one of those things that was going to help me make a progression. So, um, so I went and did that as part of my Chicago 2019 buildup. Um, 
And I thought, you know, on that day going into the race, yeah, I can probably run, um, I can probably run 240 today. You know, if I can break 240, I'm going to, I'm going to have a really, really good day. Um, so I went, I went in with that mindset, you know, I remember going to the, to the marathon expo, you know, the day before, and, um, they had a little sign and poster board up where you could write down what you thought your time was going to be. And I was there with a, with a good friend of mine. And, you know, one of the, I'd say one of the beauties of, of running is this community of people that, that we come across and this good friend of mine who I met in Tokyo, who was from Scotland and he was running Chicago. And so we met up and went to the expo together and we both challenged ourselves to put a number on the board. And so, you know, I put, I think I put 238 something on, on the board is my memory. And I said, boy, boy, if I could get that, I'd be really happy. Um, and, you know, morning of the marathon, it was a perfect day and just went out and, and sort of did it and crossed the finish line in 237. And, um, that was another like really special day because the, the marathon, Chicago marathon, you can't, you know, you can't really get to the finish line, but my family had tickets, um, through other friends of ours to be right at the finish line. And so I just, you know, remember running across, running across the finish line with my family right there and, you know, running 237. Now I just missed that 237, 17, I think is the magic number to be a perfect six minute mile. So I missed that by a couple seconds, but, um, that was a great day. And it was, um, you know, another, another almost six minutes off my time. And, you know, over a period of 11 months from when I started in New York to finishing Chicago, it was about 16 minutes off of, off my personal best. Yeah, just incredible. And, and this is exactly the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast, because it's not just progress. It's progress that happened in a fairly short time period. And it's from an already competitive level. You know, it's not like you went from running uh, a seven hour and seven and a half hour marathon to a four hour marathon. You know, that, that, that you can do. That is much more possible. You are taking time off at an already super competitive level. It is so much more difficult. It reminds me how I worked for four years to take seven seconds off of my 5K. It's just a lot of work for, for very little at the end of it all. And I also remember, Tom, that it's at this point that I started getting upset because now you have officially become faster than me in the marathon. And I, I probably rib you about this every time we chat. But um, nevertheless, I'm, I'm just thrilled for you for this amount of progress and for getting your marathon down to a, a time that's starting to be really sexy. You know, you're starting to flirt with that sub six minute pace for an entire marathon. I mean, that is just so impressive. And I, I think if your pace for the marathon starts with a five, you're probably going to feel really good about that. Yeah, I think I think that's the next goal, Jason. Honestly, I mean, I've I've run two marathons since then. They've both been, you know, one was two forty one and one was two forty. Um, and you know, I, there's still improvement I can make. So, um, you know, I think that goal to to go just below two thirty seven is is certainly in my head, but. Um, I would say also that if I never get there, I'm going to be satisfied with where I am too, just because of all the, the fun and the excitement that, you know, that progress has brought as well. For sure. You've had a really exciting couple of years. And when you look back on it all, when you look back on all the hard training that you've done, all the new strategies and types of workouts you've done that have led to all this improvement, what are some of the more impactful strategies that, you know, if someone's listening right now that they want to implement in their program, what are the, the most positive, impactful things that led to all this progress for you? I think we talked about one, which was the volume. I really think that's, you know, that's number one. I think number two, again, is the strength work. Um, some of the things that I've learned in this period for myself also is, is really um, quality miles should be quality miles, you know? So like when there's a workout planned, really take that workout seriously and, and go after it and really get after it. But, you know, when there's a 10 mile easy run, don't, don't have an ego. Um, don't try to hammer those 10 miles, like really just it's time on your feet and go out and take it easy and use it for what it is. And so, you know, when I used to, before, before 2016, I never ran with the watch. So I never actually knew 
kind of what pace I was running. And then when I did get a watch, I started, you know, watching the watch a little too much and, you know, making sure that, boy, every mile has to be under seven minutes. And, um, you know, once I started adding so much volume and started doing the workouts that, that you had me doing, I realized I don't want to run a seven minute mile. You know, that's a lot of work. That becomes a lot of work. So, you know, if I'm running between 7.30 and 7.45 or even, you know, sometimes eight minute miles on on easy days, especially days after a workout, that's been impactful too. Because I'm, you know, it's just learning how to not put that kind of additional stress on on my body when when I don't need it. Yeah. And I think to put that in perspective, you are essentially running some of your easiest runs 90 seconds to two minutes slower than your PR marathon pace. And so for, for a lot of athletes to hear that, it really puts into perspective, number one, your ability to run fast for a long distance. And number two, the recovery running that it takes to recover from the volume and the workouts that, that you were doing. And I always found it very counterintuitive from my own personal training to then sort of the start of my coaching career when I'd be talking to runners a lot about their running and trying to help them think more productively about their training. You know, there's this idea that your easy paced running, you know, you're just your normal running pace should be getting faster as you get into better shape. That was never my experience because when I was getting into better shape, I was pushing the effort when it came to volume and mileage. I was doing hard workouts. That just means I'm tired all the time. And my easy runs were actually a lot slower than you know what they might have been during the off season when I was in the process of building the mileage and I wasn't doing those hard workouts. And so it's this really interesting switch in your mindset that has to take place. Like I'm going to do the volume, but the actual pace of it isn't nearly as important as number one, the volume itself, and then the quality workouts where pace is actually important. So I think that's an important distinction to make. And I'm really glad that your easy pace was truly easy because that no doubt enabled you to really attack those workouts. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I think you, you make a good point. Like when I'm not in a training cycle, like 7.15, 7.10, like those are easy miles, right? But when in the middle of a cycle, it's just, yeah, I need, I need those 730s, 745s, and, you know, I, I rely on them for sure. Yeah, I always remember thinking to myself, you know, like, what is the goal for today? The goal is 10 miles. It doesn't really matter if I run 715 pace, 730 pace, 745 pace. The goal is 10 miles easy. And then that will then enable the next goal, which is a workout in one or two days where I have much more specific pacing. And so, I, you know, ultimately it comes down to knowing what the goal is of the workout and recognizing that your performance, your talent level as an athlete does not correspond to your easy running pace. That is just a byproduct of your fitness and to a certain extent, your training. Uh, now, Tom, I want to ask you, over the last three years or so, have I ever had you do anything that you really didn't like? Now, I know you've been getting in the weight room as a, as a purebred runner who doesn't like lifting weights, and I certainly can relate to that. But was there any type of workouts or, or strategies that we implemented that you were like, oh, man, I just don't want to do this? Um, I wouldn't say, and before I'm going to qualify this, I'm a converted, um, weight room person. So I actually do like going to the weight room now, but, um, you know, uh, there's one workout that you have me do, um, in a training cycle, which I think you call it the lactate clearing run, um, which is a five mile tempo run. And then the last 30 or so seconds of that run, you have to hammer at 5k pace you know of, of every mile and so trying to hammer 5k pace after running half marathon pace and then going back directly into half marathon pace is about as painful as it gets i think um so i always when i look at when i look at a, a training plan you give me and i look i look out for where that is and, and i think i always know that it's in week five um i i sort of dread week five just for for that reason um but then I think the other thing that you encouraged me to do, and, and I did it during the pandemic when there wasn't a lot going on, was um, was to try to run a faster 5K and and focus on you know focus on speed, which is not something um, I've really ever done. And um, I hate 5Ks. I think they're painful. <laughs> and so to do you know to think about doing 5K training was like, oh boy, I don't want to do that. Um, 
And, but I got into it honestly. And like there was, you know, running fast 400s and running, running fast 200s was just so different and sort of refreshing. I'd, I'd actually never put myself on a track before to run. And so some of those workouts I would do on a track. Um, so, you know, when you told me to do that, I said, I don't want to do that. Um, but at the, but I did, you know, I learned a lot from doing that. I fear the 5k a little bit less now than I did before, but it's still also a very painful race in my mind. And you've also become faster than me in the 5k as well. So I, I guess I've done my job very well, but, uh, I'm not very happy about it, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's really great. And, and I think what you're essentially saying is that you had to get out of your comfort zone and try some new things if you wanted to then do something new on the race course and, and run a lot faster than you ever have before, you know, like they always say, what got you here is not going to get you there. And so with your running, you always have to be pushing the envelope, trying new things, you know, experimenting with different types of workouts and strategies. And so I'm, I'm glad you got on board for that because I think it, uh, you know, off, you know, obviously yielded you a fast new 5k PR, but I think it also enabled you to tap into some of your speed and, and, and build it from there. And then when you just layer on some good endurance work on top of that, that's going to make you into a much better endurance runner for the longer events. So I'm glad to hear that. All right, Tom, I want to know now what's next for you. Uh, are you gearing up for any races right now? Yeah, so I'm, I'm gearing up. I'm going to run Boston again this year. Um, I just, I think I have an addiction now to, to going to Boston. Um, it's just such a fun weekend. Um, the whole family loves it. You know, my, my kids are now 10 and eight and they, they adore going to Boston and, and being a part of the weekend. We go out on, on Friday and spend all weekend. And I th- I just think it's runner's paradise, um, that weekend in the back bay. So I'm going to go run Boston. Um, really excited about it. I'm hopeful that I can best that 248. Um, try not to put a lot of pressure on myself to do it, but, um, also excited about starting, you know, starting the build up for Boston this week. And then, um, after that, I'm going to run the Berlin marathon and at the end of September, um, and finish my, um, world marathon major six stars there, you know, fingers crossed that I, I get there healthy and, and can finish the race and really, you know, looking forward to that. It's, um, I thought I was going to finish in 2020, um, after, you know, I had London and Berlin scheduled for 2020 the pandemic put a halt to that, but, um, you know, two years behind is still going to be going to be great. So, um, looking forward to, to both those races. And after that, I don't know, I don't know what's next, but, um, that's, that's what's on the calendar now. That's really exciting. Not only are you going to get all five of the world marathon majors, but, uh, Berlin is a fairly fast course. If my understanding is correct, I haven't run the Berlin marathon, but you might have a good opportunity to go after that 237 PR of yours. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like every runner. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I try not to put too much pressure on it. That's because in the end, Jason, I think most of this for me is a lot is trying to have fun. And, you know, there's enough pressure in other places in life to, to make, you know, running's a hobby and it, it should be in my mind, it should be fun. And even though it's hard work and sometimes is painful, it's still, it's still a fun hobby. I think that's a really valuable mindset. Do you think that's contributed to your success? Because, you know, after all, you're not a pro runner. Nobody's paying you to run. In fact, you're paying quite a bit of money to do all these races and travel around and, you know, hire me for coaching. (laughs) Do you think that this mindset of yours to, you know, on the one hand, take it very seriously, but on the other hand, in a way, not be so burdened by the seriousness of it? Do you think that's been helpful for you over the years? Because there's no way that all this training you're doing is easy. You've got to get through it somehow. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think it's probably helpful for sure. And um, I've been fortunate that I found a great crew of people to run with as well. And you know, it's become a you know not just at least on the weekends for me, it's a, a social experience al- along with uh, you know a hard work experience. And um, yeah, so yeah, it's it's fun. In, in that way, sometimes, yeah, when the alarm went off at 4.30 this morning and it was 10 degrees outside, did I want to get out get out of bed and, and go out and run in the cold and the wind? Absolutely not. But I knew I had to put the work in. So some days are not as much fun. But, um, 
but most days are fun and yeah, I take it seriously, but also have a good mindset about it and realize that in so many ways it's, it's important to me, but it's not the most important thing going in life right now. Well, Tom, I really appreciate your thoughts on this and, and sharing your story with uh, the progress you've made and all the success you've had as a runner over the last couple of years. I know I find it very personally inspiring. It gives me uh, some some hope that maybe I can have my own personal running comeback uh, when I hit the magic 40-year mark in a couple of years, and, and maybe I can go after some of those fast times. But uh, very inspiring. I, I just love the progress that you've had over the years, and I think it's a great model for our listeners who want to continue being competitive as a master's athlete, continue to set PRs. And just have fun with the sport. And I think that's a, a crucial lesson of this conversation as well. So, Tom, I appreciate your time. And thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you, Jason. And thanks for, thanks for everything you've done for me. And there it is, friends. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and you were left with some good ideas to help you engineer your next breakthrough. If you'd like to get a custom running plan, just like Tom, check out strengthrunning.com coaching and select the PR race plan. If you'd like to lift weights like Tom, go to strengthrunning.com slash HPL to learn more about high-performance lifting. Finally, a big thank you to our sponsor, Inside Tracker. I literally could not continue the podcast without support like this, so I encourage you to check them out. Inside Tracker is one of the most reputable personal blood testing companies in the country. They were founded in 2009 by aging, genetics, and biometric scientists to help you analyze your body's internal data and just get a firm idea of how well you're responding to all that training you're doing. Understanding your body's biomarkers, from stress hormones like cortisol to your level of testosterone and even vitamin D, especially in the winter, can help you figure out if you're overtraining, undertraining, or optimally training, or if you have a health issue that might be affecting your running. And now that I'm getting close to 40, tests like these are increasingly important for me to catch any health issue early so I have time to address it. But the best part is they give you personalized optimal ranges for each of the biomarkers that they test, and then a whole host of ways to improve those markers through diet, lifestyle, or exercise changes. I've personally gotten three ultimate tests from them, and the process is simple, it's easy, and it's very eye-opening, especially if you haven't done a deep dive on your biomarkers yet. Go to insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning, and to see how you can get 25% off site-wide on any personalized blood test that they offer. Of all the investments you can make in your running, this one is like getting a detailed checkup or regularly scheduled maintenance for your internal physiology. It's a wonderful opportunity, and you can see all the details at insidetracker.com slash strengthrunning. All right, that's our show today, friends. Thank you so much for listening and subscribing to the show. I really appreciate all of the reviews you're leaving and sharing it with the runners in your life. If you ever have a question for me, reach out anytime. You can reach me at support at strengthrunning.com. Until next time.